Galatians chapter 4, verses 12 through 20. I would like to read that and then I'll teach on it. Galatians 4, beginning at verse 12. Paul says, I beg you, brothers, become like me, for I also became like you. You have not wronged me. You know that previously I preached the gospel to you in physical weakness. And though my physical condition was a trial for you, you did not despise or reject me. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of the Almighty, as the Messiah, Yeshua Himself. What happened to this blessedness of yours? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? They are enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so that you will be enthusiastic about them. Now it is always good to be enthusiastic about good, and not just when I am with you. My children, again I am in the pains of childbirth for you, until the Messiah is formed in you. I'd like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. May Yahweh bless His Word to our hearts today. Hallelujah. So we come today to a section in Paul's letter where I'm going to call it a personal appeal of the Apostle Paul. Paul has been in a detailed argument from the entirety of chapter 3 and in the first 11 verses of chapter 4. And he's going to pick that argument back up at the end of chapter 4. But for now, in verses 12 through 20, Paul kind of pauses. He kind of stops in the middle of his argument. And he writes to the Galatians on a personal level. He calms down and he calls them brothers in verse 12. And he calls them my children in verse 19. You can contrast that with chapter 3, verse 1, where he was in the heat of his argument and he called them foolish and hypnotized. Or the King James says, bewitched. So he goes from that, now he calls them brothers and he calls them my children. So it is important when discussing with people that we remember that they, people as human beings, are special. Sometimes we forget this in the midst of a biblical argument or a biblical contending for the faith. We forget that we are dealing with another image bearer of the Almighty. We should always speak the truth to people, but Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 verse 15 that we are supposed to speak the truth in love. Paul writes in 2 Timothy 2, 24-25, that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but correct his opponents in gentleness. Perhaps Yahweh might grant them repentance and pull them out of the snare of the devil. The Apostle Peter backs this up, and he tells us in 1 Peter 3.15 that when somebody asks us a question about the hope that is within us, about our faith, that we are to always be ready to give an answer. And a lot of people know that part, but they forget the last part. The last part says, but to give that answer in gentleness and in reverence, or in meekness and in fear. So Paul pauses here in this chapter and he takes a breath. And I believe he does so in order to remind his readers, the Galatians, 
that it's more than just head knowledge that He presents to them. He's not just loving them with His mind. He's not just presenting to them facts from His knowledge. He is loving the Galatians and presenting His argument to them from the heart. So He begins in verse 12 and He says, I beg you, brothers, become like Me, for I also became like you. He pleads with them here. And I think it's because He's worried about their salvation. Remember in verse 11, he says, I'm, I'm afraid for you. I'm fearful for you that perhaps I have wasted all my labor on you. He is worried that they've rejected the true gospel for a false gospel. He's worried that they place confidence in their flesh rather than confidence in the Messiah. And he says to them, become like me, for I also became like you. Now, some commentators, and I found that most Bible commentators, believe that Paul here is saying, forsake the law as I forsook the law. And I, of course, do not take that view. I've dealt with this in detail, especially in teaching through chapter 3, how that Paul never forsakes the law in this epistle. I had a good friend of mine, and your brother said he was going to make some t-shirts up, because everybody says that you know, Galatians is the big epistle where Paul teaches, you know, we're not supposed to be obedient to the law anymore. It's just, everything is just by grace. And he said he was going to make some t-shirts up for us, Torah observant brothers, and the t-shirt was going to say, yes, dot, 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 I have read Galatians. <laughs> so I, has anybody ever been asked that before? Have you ever read Galatians? I've been asked that numerous times. It's one of the reasons I first started this series of lessons is I would get email after email, what about this verse in Galatians, or have you read Galatians? And I thought about today, being facetious, the next time somebody asked me, Matthew, have you read Galatians? I would tell them, no, I've never read it. I didn't know that book existed. <laughs> Just to see what they would say. Of course, I've read Galatians. I've studied it. My ear perks up now. I've been in, involved in it for so long that my ear perks up when somebody mentions something in the book of Galatians. And of course, I start itching if I feel like they're mentioning it in a wrong way. But Paul never forsakes the law in this epistle. He never does. He instead, what he does is he preaches against the idea. He preaches against the, the notion that a Gentile can't obtain salvation unless he or she becomes a Judahite through certain outward works of the law. That's what the Apostle Paul was preaching against in this epistle. The notion of salvation by conversion or salvation by proselytizing to Judaism or the Judahite faith. What I think Paul here is asking them to do when he says, become like me because I also became like you, I think that Paul is saying, I want you to suffer persecution for believing the gospel in the same way that I suffered persecution for preaching the gospel. When Paul says, for I also became like you, he meant that he laid aside the part of Judaism that shunned the nations. In doing so, Paul lost, Shaul, lost his high rank within Judaism or the Judahite faith. And Paul was shunned for treating the Gentile believers the same way as the Jewish believers. Paul went from being the guy that everyone in Judaism loved to now being the guy that most of them hated. He gave up a high and lofty rank and a soft life for a low rank and a life of persecution. We'll read a text about that momentarily. 
So Paul is telling them, I laid aside all of my privileges for you. I became like you. I took up for you. I took you in. I called you my brothers. I called you my sisters in Christ. Now it's your turn. Reject the false gospel of salvation by the flesh and suffer persecution with me. Become like me, just like I suffered for you. And then Paul says, you did me no wrong at the end of verse 12. And he goes on in verses 13 through 14 to explain this a little bit. What does Paul mean when he said, you did me no wrong? Look at 13 and 14. He says, you know that previously I preached the gospel to you in physical weakness. And though my physical condition was a trial for you, you did not despise me or reject me. On the contrary, you received me as an angel of the Almighty, as the Messiah, Yeshua Himself. At a previous time, Paul had come preaching to the Galatians. Some people believe that Paul took a trip to Galatia and got sick, and that's what made him stay there, and so he used his time to preach. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think Paul means, in general... His bodily presence was weak, and I think it was due to the persecution that he had received. I believe he physically had weakness. He, he had ailments in his body due to the tough life that he had obtained by his faith in the Messiah through persecution. So when Paul came preaching, he came with a physical weakness. But the Galatians, they received him. They did not let that hinder the love and the respect that they had for the Apostle Paul even though it was difficult to take care of him physically. Now, before we move on, I would like to take a few minutes to talk about Paul's physical weakness here in this text. From reading the epistle of Paul to the Galatians, I believe that Paul's weakness had a lot to do with his eyes, with his vision. But his eye problem may very well have stemmed from the persecution that his entire body received from believing in the Messiah. What do you mean, persecution? Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 22 through 27. I'm just going to read this. not going to comment on it a lot. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Messiah? I'm talking like a madman. I'm a better one with far more labors, many more imprisonments, far worse beatings, near death many times. Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. That means 39 lashes. If you read in the Torah, I believe it's in Deuteronomy, it's either chapter 24 or 25. I get it mixed up sometimes. But it talks about how that sometimes people were worthy to be lashed or whipped because of certain crimes that they had committed against the Torah and the civil body politic of the people of Israel. But you were not allowed to give anybody over 40 lashes, lest you shame them. And Paul says here he received 40 lashes minus one, 39 lashes, but he did it, he received it five times. Five times. That's almost 200 lashes. Likely it was the same or similar to when the Messiah was beaten prior to his death, when he received his stripes. So Paul was whipped or lashed almost 200 times. Verse 25, Three times I was beaten with rods. One time I was stoned. 
all of this, the lashes, the rods, and the stonings, all of this was for His faith in Messiah. Three times I was shipwrecked. I have spent a night and a day in the depths of the sea. On frequent journeys I faced dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the nations. Dangers in the city, dangers in the open country, dangers on the sea, and dangers among false brothers. Labor, hardship, many sleepless nights, hunger, thirst, often without food, cold, and lacking nothing. It's quite probable that the beatings, the stonings, and the lashings that Paul received caused his physical weakness, including his bad vision. Imagine what a man would look like in the flesh who had just been through the things that we just read about. His bodily presence, said a lot of people, was weak, but Paul's words were weighty and powerful. Even though he, he didn't have, according to 1 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 2, Paul didn't have the greatest speeching or speaking abilities. But his words carried a lot of weight. He knew how to get them across. But his physical weakness was something that you know you wouldn't admire. So back to Galatians 4. If you'll notice, he mentions the physical weakness in verse 13. Then down in verse 15, he says this. He says, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. A lot of commentators think that this is just a figure of speech. Like, well, I'd give my right arm for that. But I don't see why we can't take it to mean that he had problems with his eyes. Because he just wrote about physical weakness and how he needed to be taken care of physically while he was there preaching the gospel in Galatia. Paul is speaking with exaggeration here when he says, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me if it were possible. That's, a, that's an exaggerated point for the sake of emphasis. It's called in language a hyperbole. And he brings across the point to the Galatians that they loved him so much on his previous stay there that if they could, they would have given him their own eyes so that he could see. Now we have something else in this letter that lends to this interpretation that Paul had bad vision. Look at Galatians chapter 6 verse 11. In Galatians chapter 6 verse 11 he says, Look at what large letters I have written to you in my own handwriting. Now that's the Holman Christian Standard. The King James Version and a few others say, Look at what large a letter I wrote to you. And it could, it could go either way because if you think about it, if you look at some of Paul's letters like the book of Romans or the book of 1 Corinthians, they're a lot longer than the book of Galatians. So a lot of translators think that it's better to translate Galatians 6.11 as look at what large letters I've written to you, meaning Paul had to write big letters so he could see what he was writing. That's what a lot of translators say, so they, they translate that large letters. The, the KJV may not be wrong, though. It, it could be right because Paul could be saying that this is, a, this is a long letter for me to write. I'm the one that wrote this in my own handwriting, so this is lengthy for, for me. Think about the time that I spent in my own handwriting. Why does Paul mention his own handwriting here? This is a little-known fact, but it's very easily proven in the New Testament that a lot of New Testament authors and ancient authors in general, they would use a scribe when they would write. So like Paul would, would speak what he wanted to write and there was a scribe there that would write down what Paul dictated. 
For example, in Romans 16, verse 22, we read this. Romans 16, 22 says, I, Tertius, who penned this epistle in the Lord, greet you. Now you might say, well, I thought that Paul wrote the book of Romans. You can look at Romans 1, verse 1. He says, I, Paul. And Paul did write the book of Romans, but he did it through a scribe named, named Tertius. He dictated and then Tertius wrote. And sometimes Paul would write a small section at the end of his letters where the rest of the letter had been penned by a scribe, but at the end of like Colossians and 2 Thessalonians, he would write, I've greeted you with my own hand right here. This is how I do in all of my letters. This is how I do in all of my epistles. The book of Galatians was probably written entirely by Paul as his mentioning of this in Galatians 6 verse 11. Why mention the large letters? Again, he had to write them large in order to see them. Or he was talking about, I wrote this whole thing with my own hand. And he brought that up because they knew that he had an eye problem. And Paul wanted them to know the trouble and the pain that he experienced physically while writing the letter himself. So Paul is basically saying, look, sometimes I use a scribe, but this time I didn't because I love you so much. Y'all know I've got an eye problem. You would have torn your eyes out and given them to me, but I spent the time to sit down as weak as I am and as frail as I am to write this entire letter to you. Notice, remember I said this is a personal appeal of the Apostle Paul. He's speaking to him from his heart. So when we go back to Galatians 4.14, Paul says that his physical condition was a trial for the Galatians on his previous visit, but they did not let it stop them from giving him honor. They didn't say, look at what a weak, frail minister. What a weak, frail apostle. He doesn't even have good eyes. No, they gave him honor. He said, you guys treated me like an angel from Elohim. Or like the Messiah Himself. They treated Him. I want to briefly say here that genuine ministers should be treated with honor and respect. Now that's hard for me to say or preach about. It's kind of like a preacher preaching about tithes and offerings. Everybody thinks, well, he's trying to pad his pocketbook, right? And a lot of times that's the case. Can I get an amen? amen. You know, People have abused it, but don't let the abuse turn you away from the proper use. It is biblical. It is scriptural for a genuine minister of the truth to receive finances. It's, it's, it's scriptural. There's nothing wrong with it. I don't think that he should live above the means of the congregation. I don't believe in that. But it's okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 1 Timothy 5. Um, in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul even reaches back to how the Levites were compensated for their ministerial work to show that how he can receive compensation. If he sowed spiritual things, he has the power to reap natural things or fleshly things from the Corinthians. But genuine ministers should be treated with honor, honor and respect. So when somebody like myself, when I say that, say that, sometimes it comes across or people think, well, this guy's demanding respect. But that's not my heart at all, at all. Um, how many know and believe that um, a, a genuine leader that loves people, they will never have to demand respect. They will get it by the way that they act. <laughs> they will. First uh, Peter chapter 5, I think I mentioned this in a pr previous sermon, how that Peter said that the elders that shepherd the flock are not the Lord over the flock or dominate over the flock, but be examples to the flock. So I'm just saying this verse here in, in Galatians 4.14 where it says they treated Paul like an angel shows that when a man shepherds people, he labors in the Word and in doctrine. He's worthy of double honor. He takes care of the congregation. 
He spends time with people. He should be treated like an angel that Yahweh sent. Always in Scripture, if you reject someone that Yahweh sends, you're rejecting not just a person, but you're rejecting Almighty Yahweh. So if Yahweh sends an angel unaware or a minister of the gospel, and you reject them, you're rejecting the Heavenly Father. So Paul brings this up because he's wanting to know, this is Paul's point, he's wanting to know what happened. What happened to the love and the honor that you gave me? Verse 15, he said, What happened to this blessedness of yours? They once received Him with honor, but now they were turning away from the gospel message He had declared. They were rejecting Paul's message, and thus they were rejecting Paul as a genuine apostle of Yeshua. And this is why he adds in verse 16, he says, Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? Very popular verse. A lot of people quote it just as a one-liner. There's a context to it. We're talking about the context. Paul is saying, I've told you the truth of the gospel. And now you're turning away from it. I've become your enemy. You treated me so good before. What's happened? I left and you went astray. Sometimes we make enemies by speaking the truth. If you've never made any enemies, maybe you haven't never spoken any truth. But it should not be something that we desire to do. It is something that just happens by doing what Yahweh calls us to do. A genuine minister shouldn't desire to make enemies, but he should know that it's going to happen because you speak the truth. A man once told me, a wise man once told me, if you don't like offending people, don't be a preacher. But if you love to offend people, don't be a preacher. The man that loves to offend people is in the wrong spirit. His point, this guy's point, was that some people love to be offensive just for the sake of being offensive. I saw a Facebook post today where a professed teacher said, and I'm, this is what he said, he said, I love to piss people off with the truth. And I read that and I thought, man, golly, that is the wrong attitude to have. And then these guys usually holler persecution if someone doesn't like them after saying something like that. What a contrast between someone not liking you and what happened to Paul. Listen, a very minor form of persecution is when people curse you or talk about you in a bad way. Yeshua talks about that in Matthew 5. He says, rejoice. We're supposed to rejoice. That's minor persecution compared to what happened to Paul. Five times he received 40 lashes minus one. Three times he was beaten with rods. Once he was stoned. Many times to death almost. That's persecution. The apostles in Acts chapter 5, they went away rejoicing after they were flogged by the Sanhedrin. Worthy to suffer persecution. Thank you for, for letting us be flogged. Never went through anything like that. But the truth is found in a balance. As a minister of the gospel, I have offended people with things that I've said and sometimes with just things that I've believed. One time I was in a meeting with some elders and they called me a wolf to my face. No problem. It comes with the territory. Right? No problem. I'm not complaining. You will offend people by holding to the truth of Yahweh's Word sometimes without you ever saying anything. Sometimes you never have to say anything. Just by your lifestyle, your behavior, people get offended and it's because they get convicted. They get convicted by the holy life, of the, the righteous life of the saints. People will get upset and badmouth you because of that. At the same time, the Scriptures also teach that when a man's ways please Yahweh, he makes even his enemies be at peace with him. 
Proverbs 16, verse 7. Uh, one of the qualifications for an elder that a lot of people miss, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 give the qualifications for an elder of the assembly. And one of them in 1 Timothy 3, verse 7, is that the elder is to have a good report of them which are without. That's King James Version. HCSB says that an elder must have a good reputation among outsiders. See, there's a balance. A righteous minister will be loved by some outsiders and unbelievers, but he will also be hated by some outsiders and unbelievers. And a lot of times he'll be hated by the religious people. When the Messiah, in, in his high priestly prayer, in John chapter 17, when the Messiah prays his high priestly prayers, it's called in theology, and he says that the world, marvel not that the world hated me before they hated you. If you read that in context... The world that Yeshua is speaking of is the world of the religious Jewish leaders. And He's telling His disciples, they already hated Me. And if you continue to do and preach what I've done and preached, they're also going to hate you. That's the world in that particular context. So Paul is saying to the Galatians, You treated Me so well. You honored Me. You received Me as though I was Christ Himself. You would have given Me your eyes if you could so I could see. What happened? Why have you been so soon removed from this gospel that I preached to you? Why are you turning away from my message, from me, and ultimately from the Messiah? Have I now become your enemy because I told you the truth? Before I was your friend. So once Paul left Galatia, the Judaizers swooped in and they took advantage of that opportunity to deceive the Galatian Gentiles. The Bible teaches that a lot of times when the man of Yahweh leaves, havoc takes place. Uh, we read not too long ago, I think we read on last Pentecost in Exodus 32, where the people said, what happened to Moses? He's been gone for a long time. And then what happened? They made the calf. And they started worshiping the calf. The man of Yahweh had been up on the mountain close to the Father for 40 days and 40 nights. But because he left, things wreaked havoc. And this is the same thing with Apostle Paul. He went away. He had established the, the congregation there. And he went away and they began to be deceived. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Begin to be deceived. Now look at verse 17. Look at verse 17. He says, They are enthusiastic about you, but not for any good. Instead, they want to isolate you so that you will be enthusiastic about them. The they here are the influencers, the Judaizers. The Jews that came into the camp of Galatia and began to teach salvation by the flesh rather than salvation through the promise made to Abraham. So the Galatians were being influenced towards them and the Judaizers were all enthusiastic. They were enthusiastic, though, not about the gospel. They were enthusiastic about, oh, we've got another conversion to Judaism. Oh, we got another guy converted to Judaism. Now, now he's really been forgiven. Now he's really been saved. They placed that above the gospel. Remember, the influencers were teaching physical circumcision not as an act of obedience, but as a prerequisite for someone being forgiven of their sins. They taught that a Gentile must convert to become a Judahite in order to be saved. And the problem was that their enthusiasm was not good. Their excitement over the Galatians was not a genuine, permanent excitement. They only wanted to draw away disciples after their own selves. So the influencers were, were not really concerned with the souls of the Galatians. They did not want the long, hard work of shepherding the flock. They only wanted to get them circumcised so that they could boast in that. 
And Paul even says this in Galatians 6.13, and I think it's a good summary of the whole circumcision thing in Galatians 6.13, where Paul says this, For even the circumcised don't keep the law themselves. However, they want you to be circumcised in order to boast about your flesh. Now you say, well, how can Paul say they don't keep the law if they've been circumcised? Keeping the law doesn't mean circumcision and then forget about everything else. Paul's point is that the heart of the influencers was not for Yahweh. They weren't interested in the law of Yahweh. And the only reason they preached circumcision to the Galatian Gentiles was so that they could boast that they got somebody else saved. I can't help, oh, I can't help but think about how that a lot of times I would hear in church, come to church and people would say, well, I got, we got 20, 20 people saved last week. Wrote it up on the board, you know. Listen, you know, we don't save anybody. That's not within our power. That's Almighty Yahweh that brings forth salvation. You know, that always bothered me, but I don't want to get off on a rabbit trail. The, the Judaizers were preaching their message just to win brownie points or put another notch on their belt and say, look, I got somebody else saved. They, they converted. They got circumcised last week. I got somebody else. Look at this. How many did you get? I got more. <laughs> they just wanted their name to be spoken about when a Galatian man talked about his conversion. They wanted the Galatians, get this, they wanted the Galatians to be enthusiastic about them, not about the Messiah. In verse 18, Paul says, Now it is always good to be enthusiastic about good, and not just when I am with you. I really like the New Living translation here in verse 18. The New Living says this, Paul writes, If someone is eager to do good things for you, that's all right. But let them do it all the time, not just when I'm with you. Paul's point is that the enthusiasm that one has for a person's salvation or soul is good, but the Judaizers were only enthusiastic about the Gentiles because they wanted people to boast in them. That enthusiasm is bad. That's fleshly glory. And in verse 19, Paul's pain as a shepherd, he says, My children, again I am in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ is formed in you. Paul loved the Galatians so much that it hurt him. And he says it hurt him like a mother that travailed in childbirth. Just to think about what had happened. I want to turn to 1 Thessalonians here. I'll just read this. You can turn if you'd like. But it's good if you make notes, you can put a note beside Galatians 4.19 and write 1 Thessalonians 2, 7 through 8. Paul says here in 1 Thessalonians, he says, Although we could have been a burden as Christ's apostles, instead we were gentle among you, as a nursing mother nurtures her own children. That's the heart of a shepherd. They were gentle with the flock, just like that nursing mother. Verse 8, We cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of the Almighty, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. And he goes on and he talks about how that at that particular location, he didn't take any financial compensation. Him and the people that were with him, they ministered, but they went out and they worked so that they wouldn't be a burden to anybody. Sometimes Paul did that. Other times he would take financial compensation. So as I thought about Galatians 4.19, my children, again, I'm in the pains of childbirth for you until Christ is formed in you. And I think the reason he says again is, is that when he first preached to them, it was like he was in pain for their salvation, like going through childbirth, but now he's saying, I'm having to go through it all over again because you've fallen away. 
I have felt so much pain in my personal body over people that I have loved and taught and spent years with as a shepherd. And I don't know if I should call it a problem that I have, but it's it's. Sometimes when I talk with somebody and they share their problems with me, which they should be able to, especially in the congregation, my heart is so burdened. It's like I feel like I take a weight, some of the weight of the problem on myself. And sometimes I get headaches and physical sickness. And, you know, I guess we're all wired a little bit different, but that's just how it happens with me. And so it hurts. It hurts your heart when you shepherd somebody and then you see them turn from the faith. It is so difficult to watch someone wither away and slowly get further and further and further away from the message of the Bible. Paul loves the Galatians so much that it physically hurts them to see, it hurts him to see them accept this false gospel, but he continues to love them all through it the whole time. A true shepherd loves his sheep even when they go astray. He hates to see them attacked and mauled off by the wolves. Um, I think it was Charles Spurgeon said, maybe, could be another old minister, but he said the shepherd should have or the pastor should have two voices, one to guide the flock and another one to drive away the wolves. <laughs> and that's, that's scriptural. That's very scriptural. Uh, the shepherd hates to see them go off a cliff or venture into a dangerous forest with no protection. And sometimes, sometimes I've had this happen, when a shepherd goes after a sheep, they do not want to be helped because they would rather go in another lifestyle than a life serving Yahweh. And how many know there's only one lifestyle? It's serving Yahweh. Anything else is a death style. I have prayed. I have mourned over people's lives. I have wept over people's lives because they've seen them. I've seen them venture off into darkness. And the more that I've tried to pick the thorns off of them and rescue them from danger, they pulled away because they wanted to go into the darkness. Because the world promised them something, the devil promised them something, and they thought that it looked better on the other side. Listen, brothers and sisters, it's not so much how you start the race; it's how you finish the race. Amen. He that endureth to the end will be saved, and that's an individual statement. Anybody can get excited about something. Anybody can get all peppy for the faith for a little while. But it is those who stay in the race and run it all the way to the finish line, meaning until you die, which you never know when that might be. Yahweh could call you out of here tonight. Are you going to finish the race fully serving Yahweh? I promise you that this world does not have anything good to offer you. It will promise you money, fame, prestige, bright lights, and it will give it to you for a little while because sin is a pleasure for a season. But the Scriptures teach that the way of sin, the way of lawlessness, the way of a transgressor is a hard life. And we have to stay strong for Yahweh. That's why we come to the congregation. Because it builds us up. Brother Jerry's talked a lot about that in his sermons that he's been teaching. We build one another up. We pray for one another in the Holy Spirit. We encourage one another. The world will make things look so good, and I've seen people go after them, but in the end, those things will bite like a venomous serpent. And you will end up knocking on death's door with no hope and without Yahweh in this world. The good news is, the good news of the gospel is this, that as long as you're breathing, there is hope. And so we continue to reach out to people. We continue to love people where they are at.
because Yahweh loves us all where we're at. None of us are where we ought to be yet. We continue to love people. We continue to encourage people. We continue to be a friend to people in a way that they'll see the love of the Messiah from our life. And the world will know that we're the Messiah's disciples by the love that we have for one another. Paul ends in verse 20. He says, I'd like to be with you right now and change my tone of voice because I don't know what to do about you. I think what Paul's saying is, I wish you could hear the love in my voice. You ever talk with somebody and maybe you know they're a genuine person, genuine believer, but sometimes they look at you right in the eyes and the way that they speak and you can tell, man, they really mean what they're saying and they really love me. My granddaddy always would tell me, I love you in a different way than everybody else. The last words he spoke to me was, I love you too. And he said, I love you too. <laughs> he would always emphasize it. Amen. Brother Jerry Kendall told me that sometimes Brother Jerry Kirk would tell him, I love you, Brother Jerry. And Brother Jerry would shake his head. And he'd grab Brother Jerry and look at Brother Jerry Kendall in the eyes. He said, no, brother, I love you. And Brother Jerry said it would just melt him. <laughs> Because he could tell it was real. Amen. Amen. Listen, there is nothing like the love between the family of Yahweh. There is nothing like it. This whole section has been a personal appeal for Paul. He stopped. He paused his argument to get on a personal level. And it shows his heart. He loved the Galatians so much. He did not want them to fall from the faith. As he wrote this letter with his own hand, he was in pain and agony for their souls. He longed to be with them so they could hear the tone of His voice. And I believe He wanted them to hear His plea, His begging. As He says in verse 12, I beg you. His heart. He wanted them to know that He pleaded not just from His head knowledge, but from His heart. As I close, do you plead with unbelievers like this? Do we laugh and we scorn people when we should love and pray for their salvation? Do you poke fun when you should be kind? Do you really care about people's souls? Do we forget that there is a kingdom to gain and there is destruction, everlasting destruction to shun? Yeah, sometimes I forget that. And sometimes I do poke fun. And it's not, it's not the right attitude to have. Let us seek to love people like Paul loved the Galatians. May people not just hear us preach the gospel, but see us preach the gospel. May people know when we walk into a room that something is different about us. May people see light and glory emanating off of our faces. Because the Scripture says that a man's wisdom, the wisdom of Yahweh, makes his face to shine. May people see that, but not for our own glory, but for the glory of Yahweh. Matthew 5, verse 16, he says, Yeshua says, Let your light so shine among men, so that others will see your good works. The last part is most important, and glorify the Father which is in heaven. Don't do anything to glorify yourself, but know that everything you do is bringing glory to the Father if you're walking in, in lawfulness, if you're walking in righteousness. May people see that. And at the same time, may we stand for the truth of the gospel and the law 
no matter what the cost. May we not compromise. Even if it means being beaten with rods, lashed with a whip, or stoned almost to death, and maybe even to death like some people were, like Brother Stephen in Acts chapter 7. Are we that devoted to the Father that things like that could happen to us? And if we didn't die, we could get up and brush ourselves off and Tisha could help me clean the wounds on my body and I could come to preach next Sabbath if I was whooped or lashed or beaten for my faith. Now Yahweh help us all. I love you.